0: to episode 1161 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs, presented by our Patreon supporters. I'm Ben Lindberg of The Ringer, and we've been talking a lot lately on the show about new jobs and career changes, and that trend will continue today. In Jeff Sullivan's absence, I am joined by Jeff's boss, except that by the time Jeff gets back from vacation, my guest is not going to be his boss anymore. That guest is Dave Cameron, who is for the moment the managing editor of Fangraphs. But at the same instant that this podcast was published, Dave announced to the world that he is about to change his business card. Assuming he had a business card before, I don't, <laughs> does Fangraphs have business cards? I don't. know. I've
1: been asking Appleman for like ten years to give me business cards, and I think like by the time he gets around to doing them, they won't be a thing anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, you no longer need a Fangraphs yeah. business card. You're about That's to true. have another one. So tell the people what your new business card. We'll say
1: that's right. I'm uh, I'm gonna be an analyst or senior analyst. I don't think we've actually decided on a title yet. I'm gonna mm-hmm. work for the San Diego Padres in their research and development department mm-hmm. and help them kind of build one. So yeah, I'm gonna be uh, AJ Preller's one of his stat guys, I guess. Is, yeah. Uh, yeah, is... I mean that's what the business card will say.
0: AJ Peller, stat guy. <laughs> this is exciting. This is momentous, obviously, for yeah. the internet, for the the baseball internet. Since you've been one of the leading lights of that community for <laughs> many years now, and maybe we can talk about that. But yeah, I want to get into obviously how this came about and what you'll be doing. I, I suppose sure. since this is a Fangraphs podcast, before we get to what this means for you and the Padres, you want to tell people what this means for the site aside from the fact that it will no longer feature Dave Cameron content.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we put up a post last week where we were like now hiring a full-time writer and we just didn't tell anyone that was my job that we yeah. were posting and we kind of kept that to ourselves. So yeah, I'm going to be stepping down as managing editor, but I think one of the reasons I was willing to take this job now is that I don't think that Fangraphs has ever had a better staff. Kylie McDaniel returning and Meg Rowley, who joined the site uh, last week, mm-hmm. and then whoever we hire out of the insane <laughs> pool of applicants that we got. Like seriously, i everyone who applied like thank you so much for your applications like i cannot imagine how difficult the choice is going to be for david appleman because it's like a lot of my favorite writers are in there like it is an incredible group of not just like people who've been writing but people who look like they have amazing futures in writing so you know someone amazing is going to come out of that pool to replace me obviously jeff is you know in my mind still the best baseball writer going today sorry ben (laughs) I don't write about. <laughs> right, you're, you're now the best video <laughs> game writer going, <laughs> uh, or podcaster. I don't know. Uh, sure. <laughs> so you know, like with Jeff and Meg and Travis and you know, and like this is this is just an incredible staff. Mm-hmm. I was willing to at this point, like there have been teams have called before, and I just never felt like it was a, a good opportunity. Uh, you know, I'm very loyal to Fangraphs, uh, as I mentioned in my post. Like it was really difficult for me to decide to leave, uh, in part because um, when I got leukemia six years ago. David Appleman took care of me and my family in a way that like went above and beyond what any reasonable employer would have done. Like mm-hmm. he just kept sending paychecks while I was in the hospital getting chemo. And, uh, you know, I had to give him the survival odds they gave me. And it was like, there's a decent chance I'm not going to write for fangrass again. I might be dead by the time <laughs> you like, you know, and he didn't care. He just kept, he took care of us, you know, made sure we had everything we needed and just, you know like that kind of loyalty made this something that I have not entertained previously. And also, you know, I just really wanting fangrafts to to succeed long term. Like I'm gonna always be rooting for fangrafts. This is gonna be, you know, a part of my heart for the rest of my life. But looking mm-hmm. at Meg and and Travis and Eno and Jeff and whoever we hire and Kylie and Eric and David mm-hmm. Lorela and you know, Craig Edwards and Chris Mitchell, like this is an incredible, incredibly talented team. They're gonna yeah. do awesome things without me. So this was a an opportunity I felt like I could finally say, you know what, Fangrass is going to do great. Uh, I'm going to go have my own new adventure and um, certainly with mixed emotions, but I'm excited to to go uh, to see baseball from the other side of things. I know you've you know spent some time on the other side of the wall and you've gotten yeah. to, to peek under the hood a little bit. And this will be my first chance to kind of go see that side of baseball. And um, I'm excited to kind of, you know, I think there's a lot of things about baseball I don't know. And there's a lot of things that, you can only get exposed to on that side of the game, and and I'm really excited to kind of learn a lot of things and go in with you know open ears, open eyes, and say you know what can I learn in the, in this time in San Diego, and and what can I do to really help help this organization, help the people there, help help everyone the best I can, but really just uh. You know, be part of a team that's going to do something pretty cool for the next few years. Mm-hmm.
0: I know you've already received hundreds of applications. Are you still accepting applications? Absolutely. Anyone yeah. who wants to send in, you know, we're not be at a point people where people out we've... there now that they know they don't have to work with David. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. All those people who are like Cameron, <laughs> that guy's the worst. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you want to go, uh, come work with Jeff Sullivan instead. <laughs> uh, you've sent in your application now. Uh, you know, I will say, like, it's an it's an incredibly talented group of people that you'll be competing against. So I can't promise that you'll get the job, but we're we're still reading every application that comes in. We're looking over every resume. We're looking at all the job samples that were sent in, all the writing samples. Um, if you're listening to this podcast and you didn't know we were hiring, you might not read Fangraphs enough. But you know, feel <laughs> free to start reading Fangraphs more often and uh, let us know. You know, show us a sample of your work. We, we would love to look at it. So
0: when a player signs with a team, he knows with some certainty what his role is going to be. He knows I'm going to play second base, and that means I have to do double play relays and I have to hit in a spot in the batting order. Yeah. I have to play baseball, basically. And he has done that before for many years. You are doing something new here. I mean, it's not a complete career change. You've been in baseball for decades at this point, but it's a different side of baseball. And how much of the job do you know already? How much of it could you find out what it would be in advance and how much of it is sort of, I'll find out when I get there.
1: Yeah. I think I probably know like 2% or 3% or something (laughs) like it. You know, I have some sense of like, you know, I'll be working with, you know, AJ and Andy Green and um, a guy named Don Tricker, who the the Padres are bringing over from the New Zealand All Blacks, uh, who's a very interesting guy, and like Nick Ennis and uh, Sam Gini. Like I know some of the people that I'll be interacting with, and you know, I kind of have a general sense of like how front offices work, but I don't necessarily know how San Diego's front office works, and I don't really know exactly what role I'm going to take. But my guess is the curious, you know, I think the thing that really sold me on taking this Padres job versus, you know, like other teams who approached me in the past, not in the saying that I wouldn't have enjoyed working for them, but like the made me really feel like this was a good fit for me is the curiosity of the, of my coworkers and the people that I'll be working with is I feel like there's going to be an opportunity to probably touch every part of baseball. Like whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, on field stuff with Andy Green, or if we want to go, you know, look at someone's swing and see if we can like potentially, you know, make a swing changer out of someone who can hit 45 home runs when they hit three in the minor leagues or yeah. if we want to, you know, go find some some guy in the draft who, you know, whether it's spin rate or whatever the new thing happens to be in the draft, go find some interesting guy in the 15th round or if it's, you know, we want to sign a minor league free agent or claim a guy on waivers. I think like player development is really interesting to me. Player acquisition obviously is something I've written about for a while and, somewhat familiar with, but at the same time getting new tools to kind of, you know, play around with and say like, you know, I've been writing about why this, you know, this particular free agent might be a really good signing or this guy might be a guy to avoid, but at the same time there's all this data that I don't have access to and so let's find out you know, what the scouting reports say, what his work ethic is, you know, what the non-public stat cast numbers say Mm -hmm. you know, like, let's find out that side of the game and and see if I can, you know, kind of make better recommendations for acquisitions and development and um, so my hope would be that like, you know, our department Department. Not necessarily me specifically, but our goal is to really build out a you know world class uh, research and development department in San Diego. Hopefully, our department touches every side of baseball, you know, from short season ball all the way up to the major leagues. Yeah.
0: So take me through the decision making. I know this is something you've talked with Carson a yeah. lot about in yeah. Fan- FanCrafts Audio, just how to make decisions about yeah. everyday life, shopping for groceries, whatever. Yeah, yeah. This is not an everyday decision, <laughs> obviously. But what sort of factors were you weighing? Because I, I don't know. Know whether you when you first got into baseball writing whether it was your primary goal at that time to work for a team but obviously it hasn't necessarily been your primary goal lately yeah. you've had opportunities before and you have a family you like where yeah. you live you yeah. you like fan graphs so yeah. what were the did you make a pros and cons list <laughs> like how did you decide to do this
1: yeah, I mean, it was, um, I don't know if AJ will love tell, me telling the story, <laughs> but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, so the first time he called this off offseason, uh, I had just published a post like five minutes beforehand or ten minutes beforehand. And it wasn't about the Padres, but in the post, I referenced like the Matt Kemp, Monty Grindahl trade uh-huh. and like said something along the lines of, you know, like that's the kind of trade that some whatever team I was talking about that day shouldn't be making or something. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I'm taking my kid to preschool. I think I had just dropped off my son at preschool. And the phone rings, and I see it's AJ Prowler. And I was like... I'm probably going to get yelled at for this post I just published. Like, not that I like, you know, AJ has never called and yelled at me about a post. This is something he's historically done. But I was like, I don't. I'm not really in the mood to get lectured on this, so I didn't answer his call. I mean, it wasn't like I was ducking the call. I was also still at my kid's preschool. I didn't want, you know, like. But then he called back the next day, and uh, we chatted, and he just kind of asked, you know, if I would be interested in pursuing an opportunity. They were looking to build out their R and D department, and just they were just curious, kind of where where I was at, and. I think, you know, at that point, because I'd had teams approach me before and I had always just kind of shut them down from day one, like, you know, it just never really advanced all that far. You know, a few teams called, like, while I was still, like, in treatment for getting cancer, like, you know, not like I was getting chemotherapy, like, fairly close to when I was, like, and I was like, look, I might need a bone marrow transplant in six months, I shouldn't take this job now. Like, I just kind of always waved it away. And this one just felt like, you know, just talking to AJ and the conversation we had, the things he said, got me excited about entertaining the possibility. And so, like, the first thing I did, like after i hung up the phone with aj is i called david appleman and was like hey so this just happened let's have a chat about where Fangrass is headed and like where you see the future and like you know it really tried to, to get a sense of um you know, kind of what he make sure he wanted to keep me on staff. Like he wasn't going to be excited if I left. You know, that was kind of like the uh, if i giving him an opportunity to mm-hmm. to get rid of me. I, I wanted him to know he could take it, and he did <laughs> not want to take it. Uh-huh. So you know, like I had to weigh that conversation and really kind of figure out what Fangraphs would be able to do without me. Not that you know, obviously there's a lot of other talented people on staff, but I, you know, I'm managing editor. I have like a fairly involved role in the mm-hmm. site, and so that was a, that was a big part of it. Really, is like pretty much when any other team had approached me before, I was just not willing to consider leaving fan I was just too attached, not in an unhealthy way, but just felt so involved you know i was the first full-time employee appleman ever hired like this was my home yeah. in a lot of ways and so um i really had to work through the process of like am i willing to consider leaving Fangraphs? Mm-hmm. and then once i got to the point that i was like you know what i think i'm at least willing to think about it i don't know if i'm willing to do it but i'm willing to think about it then i called them back and was like yeah you know i'll, I'll go along in the process i'll interview with you guys started talking to my wife about you know what our life would look like because mm-hmm. right now you know i work from uh, i work from home i take right. my kid to preschool every morning i pick my kid up from preschool I make her dinner, I buy groceries, like I do a lot of homemaking type things. Mm And uh, so I had to talk to the Padres and say, like, look, you know, you know, my dad had a stroke this summer, and they're moving down here to be closer to us, so that we can help out. Like, I need to be able to maintain some semblance of this life that I currently have. And they were extraordinarily willing to, you know, like I'm going to be working more. There's no question. Anyone who works in baseball <laughs> operations works more than people who are public baseball writers, right? Like my hours are going up. Mm-hmm. But they were willing to to kind of make it work for me and say, you know, we really want you to work for our, for our staff, and how to, how do we make this something that will work for you? and work for us. And once I saw, you know, kind of how committed they were to really building out a real research and development department where it wasn't just going to be me, like that was one of my concerns going in. It's like, if it's just me and I get the call at all hours of the day of, <laughs> yeah. like, we're considering this trade, it's 2am, get up. Like, that's not great. And mm-hmm. so but once they, you know, they showed that they were committed, like, we're going to build a real department here, you're going to have coworkers that you're going to enjoy working with. And, you know, people who can, you know, step up if it's your kid's birthday and you can't take the phone call, that's fine. We'll call this other person. And so once they kind of made it clear that I was going to have some good, you know, maintain, some quality of life that it was something my wife and I uh, you know talked through and said is this something that you know I would want to do and would be good for us and um, once once she got on board I started really getting excited about it and um, you know had really good interactions with the staff uh, when I had a two-hour conversation with Andy Green and a few others you know he wasn't the only one in the interview but I didn't anticipate that I would you know I've had interactions with major league managers before mm-hmm. and I think like kind of the, the ones that I've had interactions with weren't as curious and as you know interested in this side of the game as Andy is and mm-hmm. so like getting to work with him was really exciting and the idea idea of like being able to go into the major league manager's office and say, here's what I believe and having him like, not just listen to me, but potentially act on it. This was like really exciting and got me starting to think of like, this is maybe not an opportunity I should just wave away.
0: Mm-hmm. And San Diego, of course, is a, a hell hole. No one wants to live there. So <laughs> probably yeah.
1: my pitch when I have <laughs> called a, a friends uh, to see if they would want to come with me was like, Hey, do you want to live on the beach? Like that's basically the line one.
0: Yeah. Right. But you'll, you'll be spending some time there, I would imagine, but yeah you won't necessarily be There full time. I guess you'll you'll find some way to kind of spend time in both places or work remotely. Or yeah,
1: I mean, I think you know my family is going to stay here in Oregon, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to work in San Diego and here in Bend. So we'll we'll see how to make it work. We don't have an exact plan of you know like number of days I'm going to be in the office. But a lot of this stuff we can do by phone, we can do by email, uh, you know, whatever it may be. I think there's some stuff I can do remotely. We're definitely going to have a team in San Diego in the office. We don't exactly Mm -hmm. know what that will look like, but I'll be there some. I'll be in Oregon some. I'll be in Phoenix for a good chunk of spring training. Um, And I think we'll just figure it out. I think that's part of the, like, how much do you know is like, I'm going in on some faith that like, you know, they understand that I do have a child and I do have Mm -hmm. some parents who are going to need some help. And so like, they're not looking to, you know, destroy my life, I don't believe. And so I'm going in with some trust that they, you know, they want this to be good for both of us. And um, I think we'll figure out how to make it work.
0: I don't know if you can get into any specifics about what the interview process was like in terms of the actual kind of questions that you would face, but I I think a lot of people would imagine it as like almost like a grilling, like some kind of quiz, like, okay, what does the run expectancy table say in this situation? Or who's our 13th best prospect or something like that? I I would imagine there's not much of that and that it's more (laughs) just sort of seeing if you can get along with people and conduct yourself in an intelligent way way but was there any like did you study for it did, was there oh, any way yeah. to prepare what did you do yeah
1: so i mean i think like you know i was aware of like what the padres kind of plan was and they spent 120 million dollars in latin america a couple of years ago and like i had heard the name adrian morjohn but like i couldn't have told you anything about him other mm-hmm. than like ben badler said this guy was good and they gave him a lot of money right so like i kind of wanted to familiarize myself with the organization in a way that i wasn't just as someone who was trying to cover all 30 teams and so i probably spent a couple of weeks like really trying Trying to like watch video, you know, dig through StatCast stuff, like kind of look through like asset valuation models, figure out who are some guys in this organization that I really like. Where if they were like, if I came into the interview and they said, Hey, you know, what should we do? Who should we play here? I wanted to have some answers and kind of, you know, have a plan to pitch to say, like, you know, if I was the grand poobah, obviously Mm -hmm. I'm not, but like, this is what I would do. And these are players I would go after. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time, like, so I'll be honest, I had never heard of this kid named Michelle Baez before like I started. This interview process mm-hmm. and for people who aren't like big prospect hounds he's not a household name yet but this is a 6-8 kid they signed out of cuba a few years ago who throws 98 miles an hour and by the way he ran an 85 to 8 strikeout to walk ratio in his pro debut last year like this is a pretty exciting player right and like these are the kinds of guys that i was like i should have some information on and like if they bring up the name michelle bias i shouldn't be like who's that let me go pull up fangrass and I find <laughs> yeah. out who you're talking about and text so, uh, Longenhagen
0: or something yeah, right exactly <laughs> hold on
1: i gotta go get a Cato conference. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I, I definitely didn't want to come off as like the guy who just needed my computer with me all the time. So I probably spent it was like basically a second part-time job, you know, like trying to learn the Padres organization in a way that I didn't know it beforehand. Mm-hmm. And that was also part of why I was willing to take this job. Is there's so, just so many exciting players, and you know, like obviously every team in the rebuilding process will tell you how good their farm system is and like mm-hmm. how excited they are for the future. But I'm not one of those people who will tell you how excited <laughs> that I am about the Padres' future. Yeah. Is uh, I I think we're we're not that far away. From being interesting
0: mm-hmm. oh, You're already saying we You haven't even Yeah officially I know I yet. know so yeah. <laughs> so yeah I was going to ask you About that Like how much The identity of the team Mattered to you Compared to say Your salary And the right. latitude That you'll be afforded In the job And working from home And all of that Because uh, a major league team Is a major league team And there are only 30 of those But right. I feel like For me there might be An added appeal To joining a team In the Padres position Never won a World Series, hasn't yeah. made the playoffs in a while. Obviously, right. they've laid a lot of the groundwork to get good again already. But you still get to sort of start close to the ground floor and and in theory ride the elevator all the way up, which seems like it might be more rewarding in certain ways than joining a team that's already at the top.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing I love is like if you want to do a cost benefit analysis of so like the benefit, right? Is like if I come in and then we win in a couple of years, I can be like, of course that was me. Yeah. Of course I did all of that. Like I get all the credit. For helping like turn this team around and turn this franchise around. If we're bad, we were bad before I got there. Like that's not my fault. Like I I couldn't do anything about this. We were just headed for a wall anyway. So like uh, the benefits of like if we win are versus the cost of if we lose are fantastic. Yes. So uh, I think the main thing that really drew me to the Padres was that there are a lot of really good people in this organization who don't see baseball the way that I see it. And so like Mm. you know there are teams out there who kind of run their organizations in a way that like Fangraphs is approved of, (laughs) or you know like we, we say. Like we like these general transactions. We like the way you do things. You know, like working for the, one of those teams. I'm not saying I would never consider it or I would have never considered it, but it's I think a little less interesting to me to go work with people who would be like, "Yep, here's our uh, asset valuation model, and we have a you know surplus value of." Uh, Calculator, and when the trade offer comes in, we stick it into a spreadsheet and it comes up, plus we make the trade. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I might fit in there, uh, <laughs> but I don't know that I would necessarily learn as much from a bunch of guys who, you know, see the game very differently. And like, there's no question the Padres are a scout forward organization. And uh, that's the side of the game that I don't know very well. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not that I think that what they say is, you know, 100% right all the time or what I say is 100% right all the time, but I'm actually looking forward to those disagreements and those places where we can say, like, I really like this guy and you don't like that guy let's figure out why mm-hmm. and let's figure out not just who's right or who's wrong but is there things we can learn from each other in order to get to a you know a common ground where we both say like from both sides of things we think that this is kind of the true picture and you know i think you know like one of the things that came up in, in the interview process was like am i a quant am i going to like build these models like you know there's all these teams who have directors of decision sciences with their seven phds right. and they're doing you know all kinds of crazy things with mathematical models yeah i'm not gonna do any of that like that's mm-hmm. not me i'm not a quant yeah and i was upfront with that i was like my my reality is i think as i'm a communicator and i can mm-hmm. understand quants to a some degree not entirely but to some degree and i can hopefully take what they say and turn it into language that people who aren't comfortable with quant language can can digest mm-hmm. and so having the opportunity to really kind of build that department who can do those kinds of things bridge that gap be that communicator role that's a lot more interesting to me than necessarily being like the 13th guy in a room saying you know this guy's worth 75 million dollars and he's only going to cost 40 go sign him
0: <laughs> yeah i, mean, I- I was going to ask you about that because it does seem to me as if this hiring. It's pretty emblematic of a, a trend, maybe a larger trend that's happening in front office hiring in the types of people maybe that are being plucked off the internet. Because it used to be, certainly to get the sort of job that you are starting here, you really did have to be that kind of quant. You had to be yeah. Keith Woolner, James Click, Dan Fox, Dan Turkenkopf, right. someone like that yeah. who is like invented Vorp or whatever. Like, <laughs> right. you, know, you have yeah. to have that skill set, and maybe that was partially because it would be like a one-person department so you you kind of needed the person who could do everything and now it does seem as if that's changing i mean even just fangraphs alone has lost august fagersham for instance or corinne landry who's with the phillies now and they were both great writers great communicators great analysts but not really the kind of people who were doing crazy queries that a dan fox or a keith wilner would have been doing in their work and i think For a team to entrust you with this role I think you're a great fit for it But I don't know whether all that long ago Teams would have seen you as a great fit for it Because of that different skill set I mean, I guess you've had offers before So in that sense, maybe not But it does seem as if things have changed In a way that makes teams attracted Not to like the most hardcore of the hardcore stat head exclusively Or to the most hardcore scouty person Who's been going to games, minor league games every day for years, the the Kevin Goldstein type of person, but right. but you, who's kind of in in a different role, but is very well equipped to do the job that teams need someone to do now.
1: I think the shift really started to begin a couple of years ago where the research and development departments or the analytics department, I guess as they used to be called, you know, maybe even five years ago, were almost exclusively about player acquisition. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they were involved in waiver claims, trade acquisitions, free agent signings, the draft to some extent, depending on how you know aggressive your team was in using this stuff. But it was almost all on that side of things. So, you know, there were teams like the Cardinals who were doing player development stuff differently. But that wasn't necessarily like they were using analytics in that way. But it wasn't necessarily driven by the R and D department. Mm-hmm. And that really feels like that has shifted. Where over the last few years, obviously now with all those public information, players are saying the words launch angle and exit velocity, and you're mm-hmm. having guys like Daniel Murphy preaching like, "Do you go to Fangraphs, bro?" Right. Like you know, like the 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 players on the field have changed, and their openness to this has changed. And like I remember like when the Astros started shifting like crazy. And their players had like an open revolt, right? Like they were basically like, we hate this. We think this is terrible. We don't want to pitch for you. We don't want to play for you. We want the coaches to be fired. Like we just think this is the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. And like now, you know, there's still players who don't like shifting, but like the kind of Push from the field, I think, has been much more towards can you help me get better? Can you make me like that guy? Can I become Justin Turner? Can you teach me a cutter? Can you show me how to be Charlie Morton? Like it feels like there's a lot more interest in that kind of analysis being communicated, not just to major league players, but minor league players, coaching staff, you know, special assistants, all those guys who are involved with touching the players, helping them with their actual physical skills where you know the quants can absolutely you know they're no question necessary there's a reason they were the first guys in the room right because you can't do this without the quants Mm -hmm. our department's absolutely going to have some quants because we need those tools but at the same time i think there's become an opportunity to not just focus on the acquisition side of things but to focus on the development side of things to focus on making players better Um, and i think that's part of the job that really got me excited is you know are there players in the padres organization that i can run some analysis for present it to the coaches or the players in a specific way and say like this could turn you from what you are into this Mm -hmm. and help them and just watch them every day and watch them make those adjustments. And obviously, they're going to be the ones who have to do the hard work. But can we participate in helping these guys become something they aren't? You know, I think like Brian Dozier, right, is a guy who hit like three or four home runs in the minor leagues. And now he's hitting 45 in the major leagues. Like, how did that happen? (laughs) And can we recreate that? And I think that's that's really exciting for me. Yeah. Do you think
0: as you prepare to staff up here, do you think the job of filling out an R&D department for a major league team has gotten harder more competitive every single team has one at this point and you know there was a point 10 years ago or whenever when you could have assembled a very strong MLB R&D department just from people who were publicly writing on the internet that's not as easy to do now I'm sure sure that the interest is still probably just as strong and I'm sure there are just as many applicants as there used to be but maybe the candidates are a little less obvious or or freely available than they once were
1: I think that's absolutely true and like you know I called a bunch of my friends in the game and was like how do you want to how do you how does the sound to you and like you know a lot of them already have really good gigs and a lot of them already you have you know the GM's ear in their current organization and they already have, you know, impactful uh, jobs that they feel fulfilled in. It's not like, you know, even recently a couple years ago, I would have friends who were like, you know, we're doing great work and then we just throw it in the trash. Mm -hmm. We just just might as well just shred it the moment it comes out of the printer because no one's looking at this. And that's not the case anymore. Even in the organizations that aren't considered the most progressive, like the good work is being done and it's being seen it's being used. And so I think a lot of people out there have really fulfilling rewarding jobs in other organizations. It's harder to get them to leave. Teams don't want to lose them those Guys anymore, mm-hmm. so like there, we've seen kind of what what we call title inflation in baseball, where yeah. it's like, Oh, good, you were an analyst for six months now, you're a senior director, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's getting harder to get guys to come. But I do think the pool of people it might be less obvious, but it's still there. I and mean, there's guys who you know maybe would have gone to Apple or Google or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, uh, you know, and now they're like, Oh, maybe I'll go work in baseball. Is uh, you know, I think also baseball's done a at least started the, the shift towards it doesn't just have to be white guys, <laughs> and so uh, uh, you know, I think that opening up the application pool to people with diverse experiences—you know, different backgrounds, different ideas. Uh, that helps as well right if you're not just hiring white guys who went to Harvard you've got more people to choose from and so I do think it's maybe a little harder than it used to be of just like let's go to Fangrass, let's go to BP let's just go hire whoever they hired for six months ago and like use them as our recruiting tool like that's not quite as easy as it used to be but I still still think there's a lot of you know really talented really smart people out there who want to do good work and I'm pretty confident we're gonna we're gonna have a pretty great department in San Diego mm-hmm.
0: yeah you didn't go to Harvard so they're really I did not go to Harvard the is the,
1: the Harvard <laughs> of the Southeast I've heard yeah <laughs>
0: So, I think a lot of people probably imagine the moment when you start working for a baseball team. It's like the men in black orientation day where suddenly you find out that you were wrong about everything and there are these super advanced stats that you never knew existed. And I wrote about my first day as an intern and how I found out about framing on day one. And yeah, so I kind of right. did have that experience. I don't know if that's typical, but are you expecting that sort of experience? Have you had that sort of experience where they just kind of hand you the keys and say, here's everything we know, just dive in? Because I feel yeah. like that would be just weeks of kind of reading and absorbing everything.
1: <laughs> right. So they haven't handed me the keys yet. So I haven't seen what they have. So I'm kind of hoping that I get in there and be like, this is amazing. I don't know that I would say I'm expecting it in the sense of like, you know, I've been connected with enough people who've worked in organizations that are going to tell me like their highest trade (laughs) secrets. And, you know, I'm not asking them for like leaked information, but I feel like I have an okay idea of what teams are kind of trying to do these days. I don't necessarily know the results of it, but at least kind of what the direction they're headed in. Um, So I don't know if I'm expecting to be like, aha, everything I knew was wrong. But I do hope there's things that I get in there and it's like, man, I've been asking that question for five years, I didn't have the tools to have the answer and now I can finally answer this question that's awesome. And that's I think that's really what I'm looking forward to. Is like also just like questions I didn't know I should have asked. You know, like there's gonna be things that like people who've been around the game for 30 years be like, I just know this because I've watched so many baseball games, and it's not something that would have ever occurred to me. Like I remember this is probably 10 or 15 years ago, but like the first time someone told me that like middle infielders and third basemen couldn't throw left-handed. <laughs> I was like, Oh yeah, I've never seen a lot, but it just never occurred to right. me that like there weren't any left-handed shortstops. Mm-hmm. And then I like thought about the spin and like why it wouldn't work, but like that was just something that like when i was 23 or whatever i just never put it together it's like those are the kinds of things that i imagine being around people who are baseball lifers like you know logan white works for the for the padres i'm excited to like spend time with him and just be like okay logan What did you see in Clayton Kershaw when he was 17 that made you want to take the guy? Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, like, uh, I think that's the kind of thing that I'm really excited for, like, my aha moment with those guys. Mm
0: -hmm. So, not that you needed any vindication. I wouldn't say you've been very successful in your field, but is there any part of you that thinks, like, to every Twitter egg who has ever told you (laughs) you know nothing about baseball, hey, I work for a baseball team now. So, a baseball team thinks I know something. Like, maybe you've moved past that stage where, of like getting the seal of approval from an MLB team Means something to your sense of self worth, but has that crossed your mind?
1: I mean, I would hope I was more mature than like rubbing it in all the Twitter eggs. Michael, <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> so like, all public people. And just replied to yeah, anyone they, who's ever criticized They you. might like this might be the shortest employment in <laughs> baseball history. If I'm like told you so, Twitter eggs. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna do that. But I think you know, like, so you'd like to think like, oh, you're you're more mature than that. You're past mm-hmm. that. You know, you don't need validation from people you've never known. But I think like the reality is like it felt nice to have a team call and kind of not recruit me, but like say we would like you to be interested in this position. We're interested in you being interested in this position. Mm -hmm. Like there was no question that that did something for my ego and was like, oh, yeah, there's there's teams out there who think I could add value to their organization. That's that's a really nice feeling. And so I don't necessarily know that I would consider it validation. I think I probably got more validation out of like Corinne and August and those mm-hmm. people coming on. You know, like Corinne and uh, you know, August, like, you know, these weren't necessarily like household names. Corinne had done some really good stuff for some Phillies blogs. Mm-hmm. August had written for our community blog. But I don't think either of them necessarily saw like a career path to working for a team before they started at Fangraphs. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to open that door, I think that was probably more personally validating. But I I think from like an ego standpoint, I would be lying if I wasn't mm-hmm. gonna say, like, yeah, a team calling and asking you to apply for a position is pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Well, so you've made a living publicly expressing your opinions for yeah. your entire adult life, essentially, yeah. sometimes very strongly. And uh, <laughs> so that's going to change. So I'm already thinking of that in a way that I haven't when I've had you on podcasts before. I haven't, well, do I have to dance around this question? I mean, there right. are things yeah. I would ask you right now that I'm yeah. not going to ask you because I know you can't answer them or you can't answer Let them. Let me and...
1: guess, one of them involves a left-handed first baseman with <laughs> like wildly divergent
0: study reports? Possibly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are things I could ask you right now that either you would have to say, I can't talk about that, or you would talk about it, and then you would not actually end up getting this job, which would be sad. Right. But, (laughs) I mean, do you expect that to be at all a challenge for you an adjustment for you to go from just being a public figure to having an important part of your job being the fact that no one knows what you're doing
1: yeah i mean i think that will definitely be an adjustment in the sense of like i've really enjoyed i think one of the things that i i liked doing at fangraphs the most was like putting out unfully fleshed ideas out there um, and just saying like, here's a thought I had last night. This could be wildly wrong. Let's see what everyone else thinks about it. And then smarter the people than me are like, actually it's this and like learning from that kind of feedback loop that the baseball community has has been really valuable for me. So I'm going to miss that. No question. Mm-hmm. And I think that part is going to be one of the things that I'm going to have to realize how to do that almost within our group and yeah. like come up with my own feedback loop internally is like, I can still work through this process just with the people that are already there and the people that I'm working with. But I'm going to miss the, you know, the ability to put something out on Twitter and right. um, have a lot of really great people who know a lot, uh, way, you know, like uh, maybe I can just like hire Alan Nathan or something, <laughs> but like, you know, to have Alan Nathan weigh in on the physics article, like that's really super valuable. And so I think there's there's going to be part of that that I, I will really miss. Yeah, But I do think, you know, one of the things that I brought up kind of in the interview is i told them i'm not a meek person (laughs) it's not in my personality to be like a wallflower and just to kind of hang out in the corner i was like you know if if you put me in a room and you ask for my opinion you're gonna get it and they were okay with that and so i think that was uh that was one of the main criteria for like is this a good fit for both of us is like are you okay with me telling you something that you think is insane yes and you know i'll hopefully have some data to back it up and hopefully you'll realize that i'm not like a total crazy person but i'm pretty sure we're going to see some things the different way and that needs to be okay and i think not only was that okay that's what they were looking for they wanted someone else to come in and give a different perspective and to you know to be willing to not just back down when challenged and i told them that that is not my history of like uh, I don't necessarily just say well someone else thinks I'm wrong so therefore I must be wrong yeah I'm gonna stand my ground and uh, I think that that was appealing to both of yeah, us yeah
0: I would pay for a live feed of the first draft room <laughs> that you're a part of <laughs> I feel like
1: yeah be of fun. I, they did ask about like the draft and I told them straight up I was like you know. Certain, certainly an area that I have interest in, but not something like I couldn't tell you who the number one pick in the draft is going to be right now. Mm-hmm. Like, It's just not something that I covered at Fangraphs yeah. all that extensively. And so my hope is that I learn far more from them than they have to learn from me, at least for the next little while, because the draft is something that I think it's a big animal to tackle, and uh, I don't feel prepared at the moment mm-hmm. to come in and tell them who to start taking. Yeah, it,
0: so. yeah, I think I, I would really miss that interaction with readers and listeners. It's yeah. it's not universally pleasant, positive, but no. at least in, no, it's in, in my case, it has been <laughs> overwhelmingly so. And that's a, yeah. you know, it's a different form of validation, I guess, in, in having people read you and listen to you and tell you they like your stuff. And it's just kind of positive reinforcement constantly. You write something, it comes out, people respond to it. And most of the comments hopefully are positive and make you feel good about yourself. And then there's one that's negative that ruins the entire thing. But still, there's uh, something to be said for that. And even just like the year or so, that I was an intern and I hadn't even been writing for very long at that point. But it was tough to be cut off from that kind of fire hose of people appreciating what you do in some form, hopefully. So I guess you, you have to find new ways to... Derive that kind of satisfaction. Maybe you you make a recommendation and the team signs a player, and then you watch that player progress. I mean, that's satisfying in a in a different way. Obviously, i would say you and I have
1: had very different experiences of ratios <laughs> of positive to negative. <laughs> I would say like the one bad comment, I want to go work for the rigor, This sounds awesome. Uh, I think like the, the example I always give when people are like, oh, so like
0: <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. Right. Right?
1: That's the that's the main yeah. thing. You know, when people are like, oh, does like negative commentary or like criticism affect you? And I was like, you know what? Like when I announced. I had leukemia like the first 400 comments were like so unbelievably encouraging right. and then it just went to hell yeah. like it was just like the last couple hundred were just unbelievably awful yeah. and i was like that's basically the internet for you is <laughs> you can announce you have cancer and people will figure out a way to turn that into a criticism of your baseball writing so uh you know i won't necessarily miss that part but at the same time you just kind of like uh the 400 comments that were nice and you know like i think there's no question that like i've made friends who I've never met, who I've only interacted with on Twitter or only acted with the, on Slack or email or whatever, like having that community of support and, you know, people who quite frankly allowed me to get here, like there's no question when we talk about like the process outcome kind of matrix that we like to quote all the time like I'm in that like really lucky outcome mm-hmm. category of like getting to do this for this long and now having this opportunity like, you know, I've worked hard but a lot of people have worked hard and haven't ended up where I have I've been very fortunate and so, you know I'm going to certainly miss having kind of the opportunities to interact with people who I won't get to interact with as much, at least not publicly. And I think that's going to be something that I'll just have to adjust to. And it's part of the the cost of going behind the wall. Mm
0: You mentioned you've been doing this for a long time, and it's true. I, I think you're only about five years older than I am maybe, but it seems like you've been doing this for far, far, far longer than I have because I, I started later in life and you started yeah. blogging and, and posting in forums as like a prepubescent person, yeah. possibly. I was <laughs>
1: thir- 13, I think, when uh, <laughs> like, I didn't really have a lot of friends who were really into baseball and I was I thought really you were really just going to stop and after.
0: I didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a lot of friends.
1: Yeah, it's also true. <laughs> so I found like this Usenet news group forum yeah. back in like '93 or '94, right. and I started posting on Alt Baseball Seattle Mariners <laughs> and Rec Sport Baseball. And Rec Sport Baseball is where Baseball prospectus was born out yeah. of. Like this was Dave Pease. Like I, I have like actual memories of arguing about Ken Griffey Jr.'s range factor with Dave Pease in 1994. Yeah. And this is like a you know 25 years later. Yeah. I'm still arguing about Ken Griffey Jr.'s range factor <laughs> or Omar scales range factor. I guess these days. So yeah, I've been you know I think my first actual published job was with a, a strike called strike 3.com that was run by a bunch of Mariner fans, uh, a guy named Michael Cox and Derek Zumsteg worked there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was like 98 or 99. So I'd have been 18 years old at that yeah. point. so uh, yeah, he right
0: read around then too, right? right. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. From
1: strike three. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I went to work with Randy Giselli and do prospect stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we, like, USS Mariner started as, like, before there were blogs, Derek and Jason Michael Barker and I would just trade emails. And this guy who used to be the sports editor for the Seattle Times, uh, Chuck Nelson, was like, or Chuck Taylor, Chuck something. (laughs) Sorry, Chuck, can't remember your name, 15 years later. uh, He was like, I'll just edit all your emails, Mm. put them in a readable format, and post them on a website. And that's how USS Mariner started. (laughs) And, like, that was before there was blogger.com. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I've been doing this for, like, 20 years. It's definitely going to feel weird to to, to not be putting my words out there publicly. And it definitely is. I, I feel like a little bit of like the old guy in the room sometimes, especially like there's so many, like you reading through these applications to replace me. So many people who know so much more than I did when I was yeah. their age. And it's like, I'm actually kind of a little bit excited to get out of their way <laughs> and give one of them an opportunity to do some awesome stuff that I wouldn't know to do because I'm an old guy with a kid who's like kind of stuck in my ways in some sense. And like to to let the next generation of baseball writers take over I think it's actually uh, something I'm excited for.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you've witnessed the whole arc of the yeah. kind of baseball blogosphere's transformation from outsider to insider, and now you are actually a, a part of that <laughs> trend and I mean, how have you changed? I think you You mentioned you're not afraid to express <laughs> opinions, and, and I I admire that about you. That you will make predictions, and you will state yeah. your opinions, and your record is out there for people to yeah. hold over your head for years and years if they want to. Six yeah, Org still comes <laughs> exactly. <up. Yeah. laughs> so, how have you? I mean, obviously, everyone improves dramatically as a writer yeah. from age 13 to 35 or whatever, but. Yeah. How have you changed your your tone or how have you seen the tone of just the internet baseball community as a whole evolve over this period?
1: I mean, I don't think there's any question that I had a good 10-year run as just like not a really good person <laughs> on the internet. Like, you know, that 13 to 25 or whatever it was. Like, I was just kind of a dick. And, uh, you know, anyone who read my writing back then, I apologize for coming off as like the smirmy self-important but, uh, you know, I was smarmy and self-important and, like, I was being who I was. And so the honesty was not the best policy in my case. But I do think, you know, like, uh, having a family, having a child has hopefully matured. Time has matured me. I, like, I've really become wary of sarcasm and snark, mm-hmm. uh, which was, like, you know, the, tr- the trade skill to have yes. – in the early 2000s. Like the only way to write about baseball on the internet back then was like make fun of things. And that's, you know, that's what we did for a long time is because we just felt like everything was so wrong and so backwards. The only way to gain traction was to mock Mm -hmm. it. And so, I think now I have kind of like a little bit of a reflexive anti-mocking behavior, like when a lot of, the you know, like things happen that I don't necessarily agree with. I mean, you know, I'm still willing to be like, I don't like this trade or I don't like this free agent signing. But instead of thinking that the people who are doing it are just, you know, wrong or stupid or out to lunch, generally try and be like, why would they do Mm -hmm. this? And like try to be a little bit more curious. And hopefully that curiosity has helped me develop into a better writer and a more interesting writer and someone who's capable of working in a front office instead of just making fun of everything around me. Mm -hmm. And I would say like, to people who want to do this as a career, you know, whether it's working for a team or working in baseball, the sooner you can put your snark aside, the better. Like, I wished I would have retired my sarcasm a long time before I did. You know, there's a lot of things I look back and regret and be like, man, I didn't know what I was talking Mm -hmm. about there. And I'm so confident that I was right. And I was totally wrong. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of humility would have done me some real good at that point. The sooner you can kind of start asking questions instead of making statements. And like, you know, there's a reality of baseball traffic that, you know, when you're an ad-based business, you kind of need to publish headlines that will get people to click on them and you can't just have a mealy mouth. Like, I don't know whether this is good or not. We'll find out in five years. Mm -hmm. Like no one wants to read that, right? So like you do have to serve the audience a little bit, but I think like try to find a way to serve the audience by including enough questions and not like both sides of them because like there isn't always a both sides like there wasn't a both sides to the Dansby Swanson trade mm-hmm. right like that was just that was just a bad trade like call a bad trade a bad mm-hmm. trade but also try to understand like what happened and why did this come to pass and like don't just say like this person's an idiot for doing things like Billy Bean traded Josh Donaldson like everyone mm-hmm. smart people do dumb things and like you know everyone has moves they regret like you know why did Albert Pools go in the 13th round like why can't we tell when we guys are really good why can't we tell that like Mike Trout is the best player we've ever seen like i think that kind of understanding of how far away we are from really having the answer in general not just us specifically as stat heads but like baseball in general how far we have to go mm-hmm. keeps you a little bit more grounded and hopefully as i've gotten older i've been more willing to see like i don't know nearly as much as i thought i did you know what it's a cliche like the older you get the more you know you don't know things <laughs> and like i would say like for anyone out there who's going to try and follow in our footsteps try to know what you don't know earlier than i did
0: mm-hmm. The book is not closed on that Josh Donaldson trade. Franklin Barretto's pretty good. Never yeah, know. could be. He could be, it might he work could be good.
1: <laughs> I think they would still undo that if they had a time machine. Probably,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, it's understandable why snark was kind of the prevailing tone at that time, because no one was paying attention yeah, to the things right. that you and others were writing. And so I think there was a natural tendency to kind of lob bombs over this wall because yeah. you were being ignored because teams were acting contrary to what everyone was saying. And in some cases that turned out to be correct. The teams were right and the writers were wrong. And so there's been a, a dose of humility there, but it's also that there's no, outsider nature anymore. The outsiders are the insiders, the teams that, I mean, half of those writers are actually working for baseball teams and the others are read by baseball teams and baseball teams pay attention to them and have all absorbed and internalized the principles that people were talking about at that time. So it's really hard to be as snarky and critical now as it used to be because teams are just smarter and they don't make big mistakes and they hire Dave Cameron. So (laughs) Well, that might be one of
1: those big mistakes they're making, you never know. <laughs> Possibly, yeah.
0: yeah Well, what do you think about, it? this question comes up all the time, the the gap between public and private and teams and internet And yeah. it happens every time someone gets hired from the internet There is this conversation about, is internet baseball analysis doomed and is the gap yeah. growing or is it shrinking? Do you have any perspective on that? I mean, I think the gap has maybe shrunk it some ways and also grown in other ways. And I don't know if it's bigger or smaller than it used to be.
1: I think, you know, since I don't have, so I haven't been on the inside right. yet, right? Like they haven't handed me the keys to the kingdom. So I'm still speaking a little bit as an outsider here. I think the gap is smaller than it's ever been, or at least like in the last five years, this maybe not at this very present moment, like maybe it was a little smaller a couple of years ago before, you know, some of the Statcast cast stuff came out or whatever, but like in this current time frame of the last few years, I think the public has dramatically more knowledge about player skills. I mean, I still remember, like, when I was writing for USS Mariner, and I think probably the most famous post I ever did there was the Felix Hernandez open letter, right? Like, when Felix wasn't very good, and when I was trying to figure out why he wasn't very good, this was, like, 2006, right? So, this was 10 years ago. I had to sit down and watch all the games on MLB TV and chart them in Excel manually and write, like, pitch one, fastball 94, pitch two, fastball 94, pitch three, fastball 94. Hey, I see a pattern Mm -hmm. here, right? Like, that's what, that's how data collection was 10 years ago. Go. And like, we didn't have location, velocity, you know, any of this cool stuff that we have now that we just take for granted, mm-hmm. right? And so like, I remember when like looking up a minor leaguer's ground ball rate on firstinning.com, mm-hmm. it was yeah. like a revelation, right? Like I can now know if a minor league pitcher is a ground ball pitcher or a fly ball pitcher. Like we really used to not have a lot of public data. Yeah. And I think it can be easy to forget how far we've come in the last decade where now we have Mike Petriello giving us like crazy inside Statcast mm-hmm. cast stuff and like doing all these articles that are, you know, similar to what teams are doing. And like there's no question that teams have hired the best of the quants that have come out publicly and they've hired quants that have never come into the public sphere yeah. and they're doing mathematical models and techniques that probably put them significantly ahead of what they're doing with the data but I think in terms of having the data and like being able to say some things about, you know, this curveball is this quality of pitch and this fastball is this quality of pitch, and if you use them in c- certain sequences, you can get these kinds of results. And like, I think that the public has a lot more information than we used to have. There's still a lot to be mined. I think the the idea that like public baseball information is dead is to me wildly wrong. And I I think that the next generation of writers who are going to carry this should be really excited about what they're going to explore and learn and teach. Baseball teams over the next twenty years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I'll be curious
0: if we have you back on in a year or something. Yeah, to ask you and the I'm same like, question. Just again. <laughs> kidding. We have
1: all this crazy information. You did yeah, all this stuff. Because I, I
0: have talked to people who were on the internet and then they got absorbed into a, a baseball team, and suddenly they're telling me the gap is bigger than ever. Yeah, so right. I don't know. Maybe you'll you'll change your tune.
1: I might have a very different opinion, but as an outsider, at least for a few more mm-hmm. days, I do think like there's a lot still. And, you know, like, I guess one of the things that the question brings up, like, is like, if this gap is so huge and the teams know all this stuff, like, why are we even trying? The reality is, like, the teams are never going to tell us what they know that that they don't want us to know. But that doesn't mean there isn't going to be demand for the best quality information in the public sphere anyway. It's like, even if you're not 100% right, if the alternative is just to let People go back to OPSBI or, you know, whatever these like productive outs, like whatever existed before this wave, like that's worse. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, even if we're not entirely right, you know, we can temper our conclusions a little bit and say, like, look, we don't have all the data. We don't have all the information. But with what we have, this is the best we can do. That's still worth doing. Mm -hmm. Do you miss that sense of possibility
0: of 20 years ago, say, when teams were leaving all these obvious advantages, un, you know, unexploited, and it felt like maybe there were huge discoveries around every corner, and in some cases there actually were, and today it feels a little bit like teams are almost fighting over the, the scraps, at least, of a certain type of analysis, like the player evaluation type of analysis. As you mentioned, maybe the player development type is, is completely different and still untapped to a degree but we obviously know a lot more right now we have the ability to look up information that would have seemed impossible at that time do you miss that sort of sense of man there's a a lot we don't know and who knows what the next giant discovery will be and you know one day it's it's like dips and and fip and all these discoveries that just completely revolutionize the way that you think about baseball and I don't know if that has happened since, say, framing several years ago, and I don't know if it'll happen again. Maybe it will. But on the other hand, we can also look up all of this stuff that we really, really wanted right. to be able to look up then, and that is very satisfying too.
1: Yeah, I mean I do think like my current my new job would have been a lot easier if I could just like, hey, look, the Mariners non-tendered Mike Cameron's so they could sign Randy Wynn. They shouldn't have done that. Let's go sign Mike Cameron. Yeah. Like that would that would be great. That would just I would have all the influence in the world if the teams were still doing that. That's not happening anymore so i think you know that it'll make my job harder in a sense of like all the low-hanging fruit has been picked right and like every team now has an RD and d department so it's not that i just can just go out there and like sort by era minus FIP and go get a bargain on a pitcher like every team is 10 years past that and so you know it really is going to take some work to find out what can we do in san diego that can be competitively different and it you know give us a real advantage over you know other teams in the league and so i think that part of it is exciting and also terrifying knowing that i'm now competing with 30 other organizations with people way smarter than me who have had a head start on this, who have been doing this longer than I have, who know all the ins and outs of the data. But I do think, you know, whether it's something at the swing level, like there's a lot of stuff when it comes to player development that I think could still be like the next dips, right? Like even if we talk about like launch angle and swing change and all this stuff, I don't think we really know how these guys did it. Mm -hmm. Like if I I challenged you to say like, explain Daniel Murphy, Mm -hmm. like we could sort of do it. We could use words, but I don't think we really know what happened there. And I think like, on that side of things, you know, the wrists and those kinds of guys, like how did that happen? I don't think we know that yet. And I wouldn't be shocked if at some point the public figured that stuff out and said, you know, we now know how to take this guy who does this thing, tweak this a little bit and then get significantly better results. And I think that's going to be the kind of thing that we'll be able to look back and be like, if only we had, you know, hit tracker data for 1974, we could go back and we could like fix all these guys. But now going forward, we know, you know, look for this kind of, you know, mental test or, you know, eye ratio or whatever it's going to be that allows us to see that this guy could do this thing physically and allow himself to become something very different than what he currently is. Mm When you
0: look back over the millions of words you've probably published, are there a few that you most regret writing and a few that you are (laughs) proudest of writing? It doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be a a prediction that was right or wrong, although it could be, but just, uh, I don't know, a trend you foresaw or just something that turned out to be true or just seemed astute at the time or something that you just think man how did i think that
1: the negative ones are easier to remember because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> those are the ones that stick with you a lot longer right like the six word people like people still literally bring this up uh, and for people who don't know about this like we used to do organizational rankings on fan graphs where we basically like ranked every team by like nerdiness right. and like how advanced and progressive they were and also like their players on the field but like a heavy dose of it was you know like how how many stat guys do they have how much do they listen to the stat guys and like we did these for a few years and at one point I, you know i got very excited about the jack <laughs> Uh, Tony Blangino, who, yeah, right. <laughs> for the first yeah. year, it looked like we weren't mm-hmm. crazy, and like you know about Tony Blangino who worked for Fangraphs mm-hmm. afterwards, and obviously I was somewhat friendly with, uh, had some influence, and was making moves that you know like trade for Franklin Gutierrez. Mm-hmm. I think this is outstanding. So you know, like we were overly <laughs> aggressive in ranking the Mariners. I think the sixth best organization in baseball in ninety or two thousand nine or whatever it was, and then they have not been <laughs> good since. Uh, so that's one that like you know I wish we had not published <laughs> that, and I wished we had done a better job of like understanding what we didn't know Mm -hmm. is like you know the Giants were doing some really interesting analytical stuff when we called them like the 29th best organization right before they (laughs) won three World Series in five years like that was one of those instances where we should have known what we didn't Mm -hmm. know and then we stopped doing those (laughs) probably for the best so I think that's one of those instances where I was like you know that's we had too much hubris at that Mm -hmm. point and that specifically I and try to learn from that I do think you know looking back to like you know I mentioned Mike Cameron Adrian Beltre like I have long had an appreciation for average ish hitters who are defensive super Superstars mm-hmm. and it, arguing that these guys are among the best players in the game when that was not an accepted point of view. And like, it's still not entirely an accepted point of view. But I think like now that we see like Kevin Kiermaier and Byron Buxton and some of these guys starting to get their recognition, obviously Nolan Arenado would be like, no one thinks he's a league average hitter, even though he's maybe closer to that than Rocky mm-hmm. fans think. But like, you know, like this kind of like good hitter who's also, you know, Andrelton Simmons is like a league average hitter who's a five win player because of what he does in the field. Like that's the kind of thing that I was writing about. Out 15 years ago that I think has held the test of time doesn't necessarily mean that I had it for the right reasons or that I had anything figured out but I I think I'm proud of kind of arguing for compensation for those guys and as we've seen you know Elvis Andrews got a 120 million dollar contract and like guys like this who didn't used to get paid like I mentioned like the Mariners non-tendered Mike Cameron coming off a five win season mm-hmm. like the understanding of the value of those players has changed dramatically to where now if you have a you know a league average hitter with you know some strikeout with a strikeout problem but he hits some home runs and plays, you know, Gold Glove center field. That guy's getting one hundred and fifty million dollars. And Jason Hayward got one hundred eighty million dollars. Hasn't worked out very well, but he get you know at least recognition of the skill set or what the skill set was anyway. I think that's something that I I'm happy about and and feel like oh yeah there was something that we saw to argue for more pay for these kinds of players and I'm happy the game has moved in that direction.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you're really going to be missed, I think. Just uh, not only your ability to find and develop talent, but your own talent. You've just always had a a way of expressing yourself very clearly and concisely when writing about complex subjects and tackling these larger trends and kind of the economic perspective that not really a lot of writers are are qualified to take. So I'm going to miss it. I know a lot of people are going to miss it. I remember a few years ago when Rob Nyer, like, switched websites He wasn't even stopping writing or anything. He was just going from ESPN to SB Nation or whatever. You were among the many people who were paying tribute to Rob as having been an inspiration. And I'm sure that you have been the the Rob Nair equivalent to another generation of young writers and fans. So you've definitely made your mark on the internet and hopefully you will make your mark on the inside of baseball now too.
1: Yeah, well thank you for the kind words. I feel like uh, you know, I have gotten way more out of this than I have given. (laughs) And uh, you know, I feel like I'm I'm one of the lucky few who is you know, this has given me a career that I couldn't have dreamed of. And there's no question in my mind that I've been very fortunate. And hopefully by helping build fangraphs into a platform that can do that for other people, that we can have like some kind of lasting legacy of I I would love to see fangraphs become you know, like uh, fifty years from now, Fangraphs is still cultivating the next idea of, of what a baseball writer is, or you know, a baseball thinker. And so, you know, I think from my perspective, I'm I've been very lucky to just latch on to the right people at the right time and kind of ride this wave. And uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, I'm latching onto the San Diego Padres wave of talent <laughs> at the right time too, and I'll get to like have my Kevin Goldstein <laughs> moment, crying on the field in a few years. Yeah,
0: right. Well, we're gonna need someone else to close out Saber Seminar with your your typical True. closing Q and I don't know, someone's gonna have to take <laughs> over for you you're gonna be missed but uh i'm i'm happy for you that this is working out it sounds like a really exciting opportunity and you're gonna be great and they made a great pick and all of the nice other things that i could say <laughs> so
1: <laughs> well thank you i've uh, i've enjoyed um Being not, I guess we were never really coworkers, kind of coexisters, you know, in the same space, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, look forward to uh, you starting twelve more podcasts (laughs) and taking over the world. (laughs) Right. Well, please,
0: among your first recommendations, please be making a major league transaction so that I can stop (laughs) doing. I was
1: so (laughs) bored by this offseason, I decided to go make things happen myself.
0: I mean, I have resorted to interviewing front office hires at this point for an hour. So (laughs) that's that's how desperate things things are, are. scraping the bottom of the barrel. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, it has been a pleasure reading you for years and talking to you for years and talking to you today and good luck. And hopefully we'll have you back on someday when you can no longer say anything interesting.
1: Yeah. I look forward to uh, just declining comment on all questions.
0: (laughs) All right. See you, Dave. Thanks, Ben. All right. I got through that thing without reading any incriminating quotes from Dave's old posts about Eric Hosmer, so I consider that a success. Pretty sure Dave didn't say anything that would make the Padres pull their offer. You can support this podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Five listeners who've already done so include Richard Schaefer, Patty O'Connor, Nathan Bodnar, Terry Spencer, and David Cohen. Thanks to all of you. You can join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild. Our group is almost 7,000 members strong. I think people are getting a little stir-crazy in there, creating memes. There's no baseball to talk about, but it's still a fun place to hang out. You can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes. Thank you to Dylan Higgins for editing assistance. Please keep your questions and comments coming for me and for Jeff soon. I'll be back next week. You can email us at podcast at Fangraphs.com or send a message through Patreon. I will be back with just one more episode without Jeff later this week. Talk to you then.
1: Audrey.